A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. Hey, everybody. This is Elle Wolf, the host of the Further Podcast. I am super excited for this episode where I am joined by Joe Chernoff, the Vice President of Marketing at Pendo. Joe is a pioneer in content marketing, and we know each other really well, having worked together at Eloqua. This is a great discussion about the evolution of content marketing, strategies around content planning, and really kind of the movement toward product-led growth. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. We had a lot of fun recording it. All right. So I'm super excited today to be joined by Joe Chernoff. I feel like I don't even need to introduce him because everybody knows who he is. He's kind of a big deal. Joe and I worked together at Eloqua when he was in charge of content marketing and I was on the demand gen team. Today, he's the vice president of marketing at Pendo, which is pretty cool. And I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks, Elle. You're welcome. So we'll start the way I start all of these, which is with the origin story, because um, I think marketers are very voyeuristic and people want to know, like, how did you get to the point that you're at today? So little Joe Chernoff, was he like sitting in the school room in Cranston, Rhode Island saying like, I want to be a marketer when I grow up? Or how did you how did you get to this point? No, I wanted to be Steven Tyler. So I was going to work in law enforcement and I had a totally different life. And I you're ended not, up working had a totally different life. Totally different. And I worked yeah. in human services and it wasn't so hot. Very, very difficult job. I admire those that can make a career of it because I just wasn't wired that way. And one day I walked out of my job and I got home and I was like, uh oh, I have rent to pay. I have a dog to feed. I need a job. And so I um, took a writing sample from the organization's newsletter and I went physically door to door at PR firms with my writing sample and like this, uh, you know, resume and asked him for an internship and one of them one of them gave me one and that's how I switched to marketing that's unbelievable so you began your career in marketing by quitting your job yep and knocking on doors so you got your start in PR you actually worked in PR for a long time how does one then find themselves like you know doing what you're doing in a b2b software company today yeah i i don't know if you remember this but like you played a central role in this do you know do you know where i'm going with this no i have no idea so literally, Elwolf factored into one of the key junctures. And I joined Eloqua in um, my deal with Brian Carden, who was the CMO at the time, was I'll join yeah, in a PR my, role. My boss right now, the CMO at Envision, I feel like should add. Yep. Superstar. We're, we're a team. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian wanted me to run PR and I agreed to run PR provided he would also let me run social media. 
And this was kind of early days social media. And the reason I wanted to run social media is I was interviewing for various PR jobs. And, and where I was working, we were on CBS Evening News, New York Times Sunday Magazine, the cover. And everywhere I interviewed, they were like, yeah, but how many Twitter followers do you have? And I thought like, oh man, something's changing and I got to get out of this business. <laughs> so Brian agreed to give me kind of an escape hatch and that was social media. So I joined in that capacity and what became clear really early on was what a company was publishing was a better path to getting press coverage than like what the product did. And Brian and I were talking about it and we we're like trying to figure out what the role would be because I knew I wanted to do it. I didn't know exactly what it would be called. And we were like quibbling about it. And you came in the room and you were like, you know, you're like, L, get straight to the point, Wolf. And you were like, I think they just call it content marketing, guys. And they were like, that's it. I'm going to do that. And that's where my title had come from. was like, we're just doing a drive-by. Oh, straight to the point. I also like the irony about like how many Twitter followers you need to have in this world is not lost on me, given the climate that we live in today. We're like, how many Twitter followers is like, you know, could make or break your presidency. He was prescient. So did you, wait, are you saying, did you invent content marketing? No, I didn't. I think Joe Polizzi did. You are the grandfather of content marketing. <laughs> See, I, I knew you wouldn't miss that. Yeah, that was so bad. I was, um, we got some award when I was at Insight Squared and by Serious Decisions, and they introduced me as the grandfather of content marketing. And I would tell you, it did sting a little. <laughs> I think they meant godfather. I think that's what they meant. Like the dawn of content marketing. You end up heading what becomes content marketing at Eloqua, but it's like before people are really like can name it. I think HubSpot was talking a lot about inbound marketing and content was a key driver of that. So like there's this whole thing like about content, but like, is that that's like kind of when it happened, right? Yeah, I, I'm, the timing was good. You walked into the room right at the right moment. Um, I benefited from the timing and I benefited from having good partners. And look, I benefited from having... Like the dirty little secret of what I published at Eloqua was I didn't understand that business at all. I didn't come from a B2B background. And so everything I published was to explain it to myself. And it turned out there were a lot of people that were struggling with it because it was all sort of new that like data-driven marketing. Yeah, it was really technical for a non-technical marketer. Yep. And this was before I think you had like tons of technologists working in marketing. Mm -hmm. It was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, please dumb this down. And I think you see that now with like AI and there's still like, they're always that, that wave, that next wave of things that every marketer is terrified of. And you're like, please, someone explain this to me. Yeah. Growth is that now, right? Yeah. So you've been involved in content marketing for a long time. How much has it changed over the years? I mean, I feel like it's changed insofar as like at that point, that was very novel and people thought that was like a new thing. And now it's like table stakes. I mean, like what are the other key sort of changes in the evolution of content marketing? Like now it's kind of, at least for B2B anyway, it's just marketing, right? Like there's an expectation that there's top of funnel content that's required, mid funnel, and that you put a form in front of this, you don't put a form in front of that. Like like people all kind of run the same playbook. And as a result, it's unbelievably hard to differentiate. And it's really hard to get the same yield that you once did out of a piece of research or out of an asset that you publish. It's a bit of an arms race now. And with all of that noise, you drown out what's left of the signal. And so we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner a bit, content marketers. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I do think I've talked about this before, but I think like brand is having this sort of zeitgeist moment in B2B. And I think it's because of that. I think it's because it's like, well, shit, if, you know, I can't get the same yield that I used to be able to get out of just publishing a great piece of research or whatever, can I differentiate at least on the experience someone has with the brand or the point of view or all of those things become really important in really noisy markets? I think it's that. And I think that just like content doesn't generate the same yield, demand gen, like the channels are all stuffed, right? And so your classic demand gen model requires a more and more dollars now. And so if you can invest in brand and have some positive sentiment and name recognition and association with key topics, key differentiators for your organization, then ultimately the expectation is that it increases the yield from all of your dollar in, dollar out investments. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. So you kind of touched on the idea of growth and sort of growth-led businesses and stuff a minute ago. You're at Pendo now. I mean, is that experience really different working in a company like that? And like, how is it different? And I mean, this is also having a moment right now, I think, you know, product-led growth and, and that whole idea. In fact, you know, my title is Vice President of Growth Marketing. And, you know, people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, eh, it's like, it's extra special demand, Jen. It's like what demand <laughs> has grown up into, or it's basically what a company gets to when they start to stall out, you know, like when all that stuff worked for them forever and now they've got to figure out what those new growth levers are. Can you talk a little bit about your experience there? Yeah, we market to product managers and refreshingly, they haven't been quite as strip mined by marketers as marketers have been. Some of the persona I've sold to in the past, there aren't necessarily new tricks for marketing to PMs. I think they're a little less jaded and I think that you're able to get in front of them in ways that, you know, maybe a couple of years ago you could get in front of marketers, but you can't really now because it's just too many vendors trying to sell to that same role. But my role is expanding and I'm responsible now for essentially I'm looking at it as the top of funnel in one of two ways. You can either come in through our content or you can come in through our product. And I'm responsible and my team, you know, I, I'm, I'm using the royal eye. I am responsible for attracting new eyes in those yep. ways to discover the product or discover our content. We're in similar places and I'll tell you, it's terrifying. It's exciting and it's terrifying. I have been such a classic B2B demand gen person for such a long time and it is 100% a content play. I mean, that's what demand gen is, that's it. So to be able to think about that in the context of the product and then also like own part of the life cycle around like, well, how do you get people to actually use it and like get them to do the one thing they haven't done yet or it's kind of a cool new frontier for demand gen folks. Yeah. And I like, I am so scared to say this out loud because I just know arrows are going to come slung at me. Not that many people listen to this, so don't worry. (laughs) In some ways, product-led growth is like the new content marketing. And I can just like hear people say, no way, this is technical. But like, you're getting somebody to discover the organization on their terms. That's what they're both about. I think it's the same thing. 
you couple with it all the traditional ways that you would have, you know, I always say like, you know, a good lead nurture strategy is how you take that latent demand and turn it into active demand. You have to have ways to like educate and engage people over a long period of time. And the equivalent, I think, in a, in a product-led company is, you know, how do you have the kinds of life cycle marketing programs that engage with them and show them the way to use something and get value for like, it's like it's all the same kinds of things. I think some of the channels and some of the tools are different. Like, using something like Pendo, actually, which is something that we're going to be doing. So I don't disagree with you. I'm not going to sling an arrow at you. I think that's true. Is that another way of saying I agree with you? I do agree with you. And I don't want to like pigeonhole you as a content marketer because I know you're much more than that. And you and I have worked together and like you are so much more than that. You're like that guy who's just like, I know I called, you know, Doug Kessler, the Don Draper of B2B marketing. Like I think of you in a similar way, like you can always sort of like cut right through to like most important sentiment or the like thing everyone else is missing, or even like just to simplify something to a point where you're like, ah, it makes so much sense now. But you have used a lot of that and it probably comes from your background in PR, a lot of that skill and insight and applied it to content and content strategy. Like how do you think about content strategy? Like, first of all, is it easier to walk into a place that doesn't have content strategy and build one? Can you retrofit a content strategy that exists today? Like, how do you think about this stuff? Yeah, differently than I used to. So when we worked together, we'd butt heads and we would butt heads because I would think that it was the primacy of creative. And I would think that demand's role would be to contort whatever it was doing to support the better creative idea. And from on high, I would deliver the better creative idea. And like, how dare you not fall in line and contort your demand gen program to support it? And sometimes we got lucky. Sometimes those ideas actually lined up perfectly with the things we need to do. And sometimes they did not. And that was when we would butt heads because I would be like, "Um, seriously, what do you want me to do with this thing? What I didn't understand, like I, I literally just didn't have the knowledge in my mind, was how hard it is to contort what you're doing. Like setting up your demand gen programs required a lot of labor and a lot of time. And it just doesn't move as nimbly as like spinning out a ebook, right? And so because I lacked that knowledge, I had some kind of flawed perspectives on how it should work. Like the goal now is to get lucky more often. And so what I try to do is there are times that it's sort of pull a string, give me creative idea, boy. And so the um, there's a campaign that's running and they need to like a little bit of a pixie dust on it. And so my team will be responsible for like trying to come up with a way to take something that's going to happen anyway and give it a little sparkle. And like, that should be part of my job. And I think in the past, I sort of resented it, but like that's part of the role. But the other part of the role is to take not just like vision quest inputs, like you're off on a you know cannabis walk and you're going to come back with some great idea. It's like to listen to the sales team, listen to the demand gen team, and also like, you know, look at just little like fragments of data, like organic search data and just try to find patterns. And what's going to happen is if you can pull out patterns from sales, from what's being discussed in the demand meetings, from what's being discussed in the executive meetings, from what product marketing are looking into when they're kind of trying to form a persona, if you can find fragments of data and dialogue and build an idea around it, you have ready-made buy-in. 
And so now you're not at loggerheads with demand. And if I've tried, if I've progressed in any way, and if I've aspired to progress in any way, it's a higher hit rate on the ideas. And that increases the probability of hit rate. I like everything you just said, because I agree. Like, And I approach things in the same way. I look for some little thread and then I just pull on it. And I think sometimes there's this tendency to think like, oh, that little bit of data you just hit on or that little insight you've got, like that can't be a big enough insight to go like build a kit. And it's, uh, yes, it can. Actually, yes, it can. I see so many marketers and so many companies just get paralysis around like wanting to do this like one perfect thing. And it's like, you got to do a whole bunch of stuff and some of it's going to work really good and some of it's going to work less good. And like, you can't like sit there and obsess about the one perfect thing. But, you know, something that occurs to me now is back in the Eloqua days, and what are we talking now? That's like 12 years ago-ish, 10 years ago? Yeah. Oh, like 2011, 2012. So, yeah, okay, eight years. Fine. Yeah, that's fine. Ah, okay, fine. Yes, I was going to say, my, everything is like I measure now by how old my kids are. I'm like, I have a daughter who's seven. <laughs> I had her when I was there. So I was there for the three years before that. But like, I think you're starting to see it more and more. I'm talking like tech, B2B software companies, like more and more you see people who like are custodians of the brand or in charge of the brand. But like, I feel like back then that was not a thing at all. And you were actually doing that. Like, so you were ostensibly in charge of like all the offer strategy and content for the demand engine. And then like that other stuff that I couldn't find a home for that I was annoyed by, like the grande guide to Wikipedia. But that was brand. I mean, literally it was like, and it's so interesting to think about this now. I think about when I joined Eloqua. Oh man, it was tragic. Like from a brand perspective and point of view, I give you credit for this. You changed that because I actually think that the content that we started to produce started to display our point of view in a way that Eloqua had never been able to like crystallize it before. And you did all this other stuff that was just about like rising tide and like, you know, giving those people more cool stuff that made them feel good about their jobs and their careers. So it's like, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to see how the discipline has evolved, you know? But brand was a dirty word then, right? Like it may have been effectively brand, but like, heaven help you if your title was brand, you know, you had a better shot at getting a job as a felon than as a brand marketer. And I remember a really good friend, a mutual friend of ours, and I'll protect his confidence here, but he called me and he said, you know, my uh, outgoing CEO keeps describing me as a brand marketer and I'm dead in the water with that term. Like I got to find a way to get him to stop saying that. And the thing is, he was a brand marketer. He's a really good brand marketer. It was just the wrong yeah. era for it. Well, and it, again, like it's having a moment. I mean, I work in what is basically a B2B software company with like a lot of focus on brand. And actually Envision is so interesting because I think they got to this place that they're at on the back of a super strong brand and having a point of view for designers and pouring a lot into community and like really indexing on that. Um, and now it's interesting because we're trying to build more performance marketing muscle, but it's like everybody knows who they are. You don't have to worry about that. You know, I was in MarTech for so long and MarTech is, God, it's a tough place to be because it is so crowded and so noisy. And there are so many things that kind of look like that other thing. And you're like, oh, are you kind of like those guys? Yeah, sort of, but not exactly. I mean, there's like so much of that. And I really do think like brand is the one place where you can really start to sort of, you know, stand out and, and make people realize like, oh, this is what you guys are all about. I get it now. Right. And it was really clear, like you and I moved toward each other, right? And we kind of wound up in more, 
look, we got essentially the same job right now, right? And like, we just sort of from two different perspectives have arrived in a common spot because those are two sides of an A-frame home, right? Like each side holds the other one up. Yeah, it is. And it's just, it's the way the world is going. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe Chernoff. In part two of our discussion coming up next week, we're going to have some fun talking about ideation in you know marketing, the subjectivity around what good marketing looks like, and just brands, great B2B brands, great B2C brands, and what they do really well to win our attention and affinity. Uh, I hope you'll join us then. Thanks. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home-free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.